Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. Um, what, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be starting in Matthew. So when you get to Luke, put your ribbon, uh, piece of paper or something in there, because we're going to be going back and forth. But we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 1. So I just want to kind of give you a heads up so that you can uh, not have to flip around. So <clears throat> Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> I, am, I am convinced more and more as I look at world events and di- different things that God is in control. God has always been in control and he will always be in control. Uh, there are times when it feels like he's not. But the reality is, he is in control. And, and we kind of always need to remember that. Because it's easy for us to get distracted with all of the stuff and, and lose that focus. <clears throat> Christmas is an interesting time for for many people. It can be the happiest time of the year, and it can be the saddest time of the year. According to Hollywood, everybody's supposed to be happy, and nothing is ever supposed to go wrong this time of year. And we know that that's not true. The reality is, this can be a difficult time of year for many people. And it is easy for us to lose track, lose focus, however you want to word it, on hope. During the season that we celebrate the birth of hope. Is that, is that not right? I mean, because is that not, you know, Christmas is, you know, he's one of the things that Christ has provided for us is hope. And we celebrate the birth of hope. But yet we cannot have hope. This morning's message, I'm just going to tell you straight out of the gate. It's going to be a weird one. Okay, Just, just saying. It's probably you're probably going to get about two thirds of the way through this message, and maybe even all the way through the end of the message, and think, "Wow, that was really weird." Uh, but I, I hope that by the end of the message, to kind of wind it up and 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 help you understand some really precious things that the is is involved in the Christmas story that we often fail to realize. The title of my message, if you're keeping notes this morning, is God Never Stops Working. God Never Stops Working. In our passage in Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1 contains uh, genealogies, uh, two, two genealogies. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1, let, let's start reading Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> 
Okay. Is she okay? Oh, okay. Okay. Matthew chapter 1. Let's read verse 1. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas <clears throat> and his brethren. And normally, when we start reading a genealogy, we stop about there. Am I right? And we kind of skim along, and we see all the begats and begats and begats and begats. And, begats. and then we, we kind of look down... And then where the begats stop, and we pick up reading again. Am I right? Okay. So let's do that. (laughs) Everybody's laughing because you're all guilty. Verse 16. And Joseph, or excuse me, (laughs) ooh, that would have been a bad one. And and Jacob begat Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, who is called Christ. I'm going to give you here in the introduction several important thoughts. The first important thought here is that it is clearly identified here that Joseph <clears throat> did not begat Jesus. Okay? Very clear. Uh, second important thought. The genealogy listed in Matthew chapter 1 starts with Abraham and goes through Joseph. Interesting. And hopefully it'll make sense in a little while. But as as you read in verse 6, it says, And Jesse begat David the king. Now, why is that so important? Anybody got a clue? Okay, because the Messiah needed to come through the lineage of David. Okay? So, genealogies are very important to the Jewish nation um, for for a number of reasons. One, without genealogy, they would not be able to identify their tribal membership, if that makes sense. Okay? Okay? And all of this takes place through the, through the male, okay? Um, so the, the tribal membership and also without a, the, a proper genealogy, they would not be able to claim their inheritance, okay? So the, this is important stuff. And again, I told you at the beginning, this is going to be a weird message, so just hang with me. For Jesus to claim that he was the Messiah, he had to be the son of David. Not literally the son, but through through the, the genealogy line, he had to be of the seed of David. So Jesus's genealogy traces right through David. And let's go back to verse 6. Uh, Jesse begat David, the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. So not only did did Joseph's lineage go through David, but it went through Solomon as well. Important fact 
<clears throat> well, look, look at, flip over to, to the book of Luke. Mary's genealogy is a little different. Joseph's genealogy started with Abraham and went through Joseph. Let's let's look at Mary's. <clears throat> Luke chapter 3 in verse 23. And Jesus himself began to uh, began to be about 30 years of age being as it was supposed the son of Joseph which was the son of Heli. So <clears throat> now that is different than the genealogy that we just read in Matthew. Okay? This starts with a guy named Heli. Heli is well the the, the the Hebrew name for Heli is Eli. And Eli was the father of Mary. Okay? Mary is not mentioned here again because of the male dominance of the of the times. So <clears throat> this lineage, uh, the genealogy listed in Luke chapter three is Mary's genealogy, and it starts with her dad, uh, Eli. So <clears throat> important fact, uh, important thought number three. Joseph is clearly identified as not being the biological father again. Why, again, why, why is this so important? The, the virgin birth, okay? It has to be, uh, that, that has to be. Uh, important, important, important thought number four. <clears throat> it starts with Jesus and ends in verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. See, Mary's, Mary's genealogy goes from Jesus all the way to God. Interesting. Why is that so important? Because he's also known as the son of God the Son of Man. So, <clears throat> important thought number five. Having's Mary, having Mary's name uh, omitted was not unusual. <clears throat> In fact, it would have been very unusual to have her name mentioned. Uh, important thought number six. Uh, Jesus came to save everyone. Look at... Um, uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, just if you can, flip over a page or two. Luke chapter 2, verse 32. Um, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. It's important that we understand that the birth of Christ was not just to the Jewish nation. 
it was to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people of the world. So Christ's birth was a birth that is important to all men. <clears throat> now, ha having said all this, we'll get into the message now. But I want to warn you, we are not going to read all of these genealogies. And there's a reason for that. The reason for it is because I can't say all the names. I'm just saying, I, I can't do it. So um, you just have to begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and so on and so forth. But I, I, the, my first point this morning is this, and, and please get a hold of this. Everyone is important to God. Everyone is important to God. Include and, and I want to talk about just Mary's genealogy here in Luke chapter 3 for a minute. Just Mary's genealogy. There are 36 names listed in this genealogy that never appear in Scripture ever again. The only time that they're mentioned is in Mary's genealogy. Now, what do we know about them? I, nothing. <clears throat> Yet, all 36 of these men listed in Mary's genealogy was important. You say, well, how do we know they were important? It, it's important because they're listed. And the genealogy to the Jewish, to the Jewish people was absolutely critical for, for numerous reasons. But Jesus needed this genealogy to be able to prove the lineage that he was and could be the Messiah. Thus making every name listed important. Now, I do want to say this, that not every name listed was a good person. Okay? I want to give you an example of one that <clears throat> we, we know very little about, but we know that he was not a godly man. And his name was Lamech. Look at verse uh, 3. <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 3, in verse 36. Is that what I want? Let's see. Okay, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of whoever, uh, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of No, which was the, the son of Lamech. Now, who is, who is, what, what is the Hebrew name for the Greek name No? Noah. So Noah is the son of Lamech. Now, how can I say with sincerity, yes, that word, sincerity, that Lamech was not a godly man? <clears throat> he wasn't on the boat. <laughs> I mean, pretty simple. He wasn't on the boat. There was no one but Noah and his family 
on the boat. And Lamech had opportunity. Does anybody know who his grandpa was? If we keep reading, it tells us. But anybody? Uh, look, look at verse 37. Uh, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch. Okay, let, let me give you a little history here. When did Methuselah die? How old was he? 900 and some years old, okay? When did he die? He, he died, many theologians believe, as soon as it started raining, he died. When did, when did Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, die? He didn't die. He was taken. God and him had such a close relationship. One day God looked down from heaven to Enoch and said, you know what, why don't you just come up here? He never died. So you have Enoch... Then you have Methuselah. Then you have Lamech, who had a godly heritage. But yet, when Noah built the ark, he wasn't on the ark. So we know that he did not walk with God. Just a little interesting fact there. So not every name in the genealogy, you know, oftentimes we just accept it as the fact that, it. well, hey, if it's in the genealogy of Jesus, then this was a good person. This was a godly person. We, we get this misconception, and that's not true. What's my point? I want to say this again. All 36 names mentioned were as important as any other names. Those individuals were just as important as you and me today. Some of these men listed in the genealogy were men of great faith, and some were not. But that did not negate the fact that every person that has ever been born is important to God. From Adam all the way to Mary, we are given a list of names of people that were important. You say, but but wait a minute, I'm not in the lineage of David. But the point is, you're still important to God. And oftentimes we feel like just because we are not in the lineage of David, or we're not a, a great something, or, you know, then, then I'm a nobody. That is not true. We are all important to God. God is at work in this world. And God is at work in your life, whether you feel it or not. God is alive and well. And you are important to God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he is, but he is.
you have to remember from <clears throat> just before Jesus' birth, there had been a period of, a, of 400 years that God had been silent with men. 400 years. Just because God was silent, does it mean he was not working? Doesn't mean that at all. He was still working behind the scenes. And there are times when we look out in our world today and we see all this stuff going on and we wonder, is God even alive today? Why? Because we're looking at the circumstances. But let me assure you, God is alive and well, and he is in control. Number one, everybody is important to God. Number two, and we're going to spend a little bit of time here because this is important. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And what I did is I... I was as I was reading through here, I, I forced myself to read these genealogies. <laughs> and I came across some names and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Who's that? And the first one I came across was a guy named Nathan. Look at verse 31 of <clears throat> Luke chapter 3. which was the son of Maliah, which was the son of uh, Menan, which was the son of uh, whatever, um, uh, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. And I thought, who is David? Who is Nathan? I'd never heard of Nathan before. You know, you hear of Solomon and Absalom and uh, some of David's other sons. But I'd never really heard of Nathan, so I started doing some research. And obviously, the first thing I found out, duh, is he's the son of David. But does, well, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 14. And these be the names of those that were born unto him in Jerusalem. Uh, Samalah and Shobab and Nathan... And Solomon. So, Nathan is first off the older brother of Solomon. I found that to be interesting. But does anybody know, it's not identified here, but does anybody know who his mother was? Huh? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the mother of all four of these names listed here. Didn't know that. So he was the older brother of Solomon. He was the fourth child, Nathan was, the fourth child born to David and Bathsheba. What happened to the first child? Died at birth. Jewish legend has it that as I was doing this research, I found out something very interesting. The first two names, which are very difficult to say, um, were names given by David 
and Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet and David named the first two boys. Nathan was named by Bathsheba. And Jewish legend has it that she named him Nathan out of respect for Nathan the prophet. Now, those of you that know your Old Testament, this may sound familiar to you, but Nathan the prophet was the one who confronted David with his sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I deliver thee out of the hand of Saul. And Nathan the prophet was the one who stuck his finger in the face of David and said, You're the man. And because Bathsheba and David respected him so much, they named Nathan after him. Didn't know that. Interesting fact here. In Mary's genealogy, there are uh, no women listed uh, in the genealogy at all. If you want to go back and read it, knock yourself out. Um, but there's no women listed in Mary's genealogy. But in Joseph's genealogy, so let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. In in Joseph's genealogy, there are four women listed. Again, this is highly unusual. This is is, uh, very unusual. To, to have one listed, maybe, but to have four listed, very unusual. So there has to be a reason. Why, why, you know, obviously I asked myself the question, why are these four women listed? Well, let's look at them. The first one we see in verse 3. And Judas begat uh, Pharaoh and Zerah of Thamar. So, anybody know Thamar's Hebrew name? It would be Tamar. Okay? So, without going into a long, because this this could be a whole sermon just on this, I want to give you kind of the backstory on Tamar very quickly. Jacob mentioned here in verse 3, or excuse me, uh, Judas, Jacob's son, Judas, <clears throat> uh, also the head of the tribe of Judah, by the way, if you're, if you're interested in that, um, had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Those were hit, was, was, was um, uh, Judah's three sons. His oldest son, Ur, married Tamar. And Ur died. Well, the custom was, or, or, and I think still is in many Jewish communities, that if the oldest son dies, the wife then becomes the wife of the next eldest son. And that would have been a guy named Onan. Well, <clears throat> Ur dies. 
Judah says, okay, Tamar, you're now the wife of Onan. And guess what happened to Onan? He died. I'd hate to be married to her. (laughs) So the next logical person to become her husband is uh, Judah's youngest son, Shelah. And the problem was he was still a young boy. So Judah goes to Tamar and says, hey, you go back to your family. And when Selah gets old enough, uh, you can can marry him and, and everything will be okay. Well, Judah didn't keep his promise. And Tamar remained an unmarried widow for many, many years. And finally, she went into town disguised as a harlot and coerced Judah to lay with her. And through that relationship, she became pregnant with twins. Faraz and Zerah. The story, if you're interested, is recorded in Genesis chapter 38. But let's go back to verse 3. And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar. Interesting. Twin boys that are mentioned in the lineage of, of Christ who were born out of not the best of circumstances. But God used them. Oftentimes we get the misunderstanding that our lives need to be perfect in order for God to use us. I love the genealogy of Christ because it reminds me that there are imperfect people scattered throughout his genealogy that God used in great ways. In fact, if you read ahead in the rebuilding of the temple several years later in 500-ish B.C. and that, that period of time, these two boys' descendants were key people in the rebuilding of the temple several hundred years later. God used these boys in a great way. Look at verse 5. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab. The Hebrew name for Solomon is Solomon, but it's not Solomon, um, uh, David's son. It's uh, anyway, uh, but he begat Boaz uh, uh, <clears throat> of Rechab. So Rechab, who who is Rechab? Rahab. Many people are familiar with Rahab. 
Rahab is a very famous person. Uh, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. The children of Israel had spent 40 years in the desert and they were getting ready to cross into the promised land. Moses had died. God had taken him to heaven. And Joshua and the armies were getting ready to cross over the Jordan. And they, their first city that they were going to come to was what city? Jericho. They were going to come to the city of Jericho. And, and Joshua sends spies to the city of Jericho. And this is where we pick up. And, and Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, sent out to Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Not only did they stay there, but she hid them and protected them. And because of that, uh, and it's an interesting story. You should go back and read it. We just don't have time this morning to cover it. This is a woman of great faith. She had great faith and she didn't even know the God of Israel. She had just, she, her faith was born off of, off of stories that she had heard about the God of Israel. But what does the New Testament say about this woman of faith? Uh, James chapter 2, verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them uh, out another way. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, She made what we call today the hall of faith. By faith the harlot Rahab uh, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. The, the faith of this woman it was just incredible. But yet her profession was not the best. But she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 5 again. And Boaz begat Obed, of Ruth. Now that one doesn't change, it's the same. Ruth. Ruth is another precious woman in the lineage of Christ and and oftentimes we think of Ruth as being this this really special kind of woman, but the reality is she came from a very heathen heathen society. She was she was from the land of Moab. She was a what they call a Moabite. And the Moabites were very heathen people. They, they, they were idol worshipers. And part of their religious uh, uh, activities, if you would, or um, uh, uh, requirements would probably, as they would serve the god Chemosh, they would, the, the, the religious system required infant sacrifice. This is the society that that Ruth came from. This was this was this is how she grew up. That it was okay to sacrifice children. Not only was it okay, but it was a good thing. But what happened? She married Ruth's son, and her son died. And you know, again, you can go back and read the story. We don't have time for it. But Ruth saw 
the life of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Let me share with you the testimony that Ruth had to the life of Naomi. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, and Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Every time I read that, that, that verse, <clears throat> God smotes my heart and says, what kind of testimony do you have? Do people around, around me, are they drawn to Jesus Christ because of my love for Jesus Christ? I hope so. But that is the thing that drew Ruth to God was her mother-in-law's life. This heathen, if you would, idol worshiper, baby sacrificer, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Again, testimony of the fact that God can change lives. Everyone has a story. Look at verse 6. We read this a minute ago. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon and her, uh, excuse me, of her, that had been the wife, the wife of Uriah. Now, <clears throat> who is that? Bathsheba. My point is not to judge Bathsheba. That, that's, that's, not, that's not my point. But when Nathan the prophet confronted David with his sin of adultery, it was with Bathsheba that the adultery took place. David had Uriah killed. So what do we know about Bathsheba? Bathsheba was the obviously the mother of five children, four that lived. She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, if you later, when you read in the, the Kings and Chronicles, uh, there's a list of David's mighty men. You will read the name of Uriah the Hittite. He was one of David's greatest warriors. Yet David had him killed. After Uriah's death, she married the king. She was the mother of Solomon. Solomon was the, was the son who uh, followed David as king of Israel. Earlier I said that this morning's message was, was going to be strange, a little on the weird side. And, and, and you may be sitting there thinking, still, I don't know what this has to do with Christmas. Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is critical to the Christmas story. Because if if the things that we've talked, just a few of the things that we've talked about this morning, if they could not if they could not be proved, then he could not be the Messiah. 
And Jesus Christ was not just a king, he was the king. And it had to be proven through the genealogy. One of my favorite verses at this time of year is Isaiah chapter chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us is born, excuse me, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever and ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And I want to tell you this morning that everyone is important to God. Everyone. The 36 names, the faceless names that we read in this genealogy of Mary, 36 names that we have no clue who these people were, was important to God. And if you're sitting there thinking this morning and saying, hey, look, I'm a nobody, then praise God, you're important. You're important too. Everyone is important to God. But, 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 Pastor, you don't, know, you don't know my story. Well, let me tell you, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. We could, we could go down aisle by aisle, and, 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 and everybody's story is going to be just a little bit different. Some of us are going to have some really weird stories. Each of us is unique to God. Each of us is equally important to God. You say, but I get this a lot, and and please understand. But pastor, you're a pastor. That means God loves you more than he loves me. I I actually have people tell me that. And and I laugh, and I, I assure them to the best of my ability, that God doesn't love me any more or less than he loves you. And so often, when life is crazy, and this time of year life can be really crazy, we can lose sight of the fact that everybody is important to God. We can lose fact that God is still in control. And even though there are periods of time in history where God was silent, he never stopped working in the affairs of men. And there have there will be times in your life where you're going to say, God, where are you? And you may not feel like he's there working, but let me assure you he's there because you're important. And everybody has a story to tell. My story is different than anybody else's in this room. And yours is as well. We, we, I just randomly picked some names out of here because I, I just... God is so good. 
because genealogies remind me how much he uses just the common person to accomplish great things. Most of the people listed in in these genealogies we know nothing of. Just common people who worked hard, probably, did their best to raise their families, hopefully. But we don't know. We know some of them were godly people. We know some of them were not godly people. But God was still alive and well and working in their lives. Christmas is the starting point of God's love toward mankind. I want you to think about this. Why did Christ come? He came to die on the cross for your sins and mine. That's why he came. But it all starts with what we call Christmas. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I love to research words that I don't know what they mean. Anybody know what the word Noel means? We sing it all the time. Noel, Noel. What does that mean? Okay, it's it's a French word. Okay, it's a French word that means birth. Isn't that interesting? I I don't know. I found that to be interesting. But it's this Christmas time, this birth, the Noel. That starts all of it. And it is all brought together what we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But it all starts now. It starts with the birth, it starts with the the Noel. Do you realize there could be no death without birth? There could be no resurrection without the death. There could be no victory without the resurrection. And it all starts with Christmas. And it all starts with us understanding how much God loves us. Everyone is important to God. And everyone has a story. I wish I had time and and the ability to go through every single one of these names and and research their lives and and, and tell you about each one of these, but it's impossible. We just don't know. And I think it's like that on purpose. Because if we could trace the life of every single individual, then then we could then eliminate ourselves out of the, the realm of God working in our lives. Oh, well, those were special people. Those were, no, no, no. They, they were just common people like you and me. And God used them greatly. Everyone's important. And everyone has a story. Let me close with this and we'll be done. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the the world you shall have tribulation, 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The victory. We can have victory all because of the birth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to just get a small glimpse of hopefully what I was trying to communicate this morning, that you love us so much that each and every one of us is precious to you. Lord, I am so grateful for that. Because the truth is, I don't deserve it. But for some reason, for some reason, you have seen fit to be a big part of my life. You died for my sin. You came to this earth to be born so that you could die. And through that death and resurrection, I can have victory. And I'm so thankful for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed,